Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 17, Dwight's Speech. In this episode, we find out that Dwight is giving a presentation, which leads Michael to give him some advice on public speaking, and Pam is planning her wedding. This episode's cold open is just kind of something that happens, it exists. There's not much that uh, goes on in it that is of note. It is just Michael and Dwight are like tossing a football back and forth as they're like bouncing ideas off of each other or something. Yes. And so it just kind of gets out of hand from there. They are annoying everyone in the office because they are doing this just in the middle of the office. Right, over people's desks or heads. Right. And their throats aren't always accurate. Yes, so at one point Jim gets stuff knocked off of his desk. (laughs) And Jim, mostly, is trying to get Michael and Dwight to stop this. And Michael just talks about how, like, he can't stay cooped up in his office the whole time, so he has to get out out there and, you know, move around. (laughs) Finally, Jim intercepts the ball, which really escalates uh, this brainstorming session into something a little more physical. and Jim and the other people in the office are playing keep away from Michael and Dwight. And Ryan gets the ball, and Dwight goes into an all-out tackle of him, like mm. takes him to the ground, mm-hmm. then knocks over Creed and Stanley, and that's when it sort of gets ruined. Just like when you're roughhousing or something with your siblings and someone takes it a little too far and then right. it it gets sort of ruined. And it is no shock that Dwight <laughs> is the person that that kind of pushed this over the edge. Yes, and that's how we start the episode. Yeah, so early on in the episode we learn that Dwight has been named Dunder Mifflin Salesman of the Year and to go along with this award he will be a speaker at the Northeast Sales Association or something like that? Yeah, it's a convention for, I am assuming, all of the different types of sales that happen in northeastern Pennsylvania. Um, or just I'm, the northeast in general. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't count Pennsylvania as part of the northeast. I would, personally. Okay. I mean, what what would you say regionally they are then? I would say they are the farthest like, southwestern state I would put in the northeast. Or they'd be the northernmost mid-Atlantic state. They're, they're kind of on the edge there. But it, to me, I am confused why the Sales Association cares to hear a speech from the Dunder Mifflin right. top salesman. I, I forgot that this wasn't a Dunder Mifflin convention. Yeah. It was just... Yeah, so, like, are all the people, like, are all the salespersons of the year in all of these sales companies making speeches at this thing? Or 
Which would be a lot. I assume it would be like car sale or yeah. furniture sales or dairy products. I mean, there's a lot of different companies that have sales components to them. So, and it was a big convention. So we're just suspending reality a little bit on why he's giving the speech. His Salesman of the Year prize also comes with a cash winnings. He doesn't say how much, though. Yeah. So Dwight is a bit nervous about this speech, and he turns to Michael for advice on how to give a good speech because Michael has won the Salesman of the Year award for Dunder Mifflin twice. And so Michael has given this speech to this convention two times, which he will bring up multiple times throughout this episode. And it's not so much that Dwight approaches Michael about this. It's that Michael sort of hounds Dwight about what he's going to do and how Dwight can't let him down or embarrass him. Right. And Dwight really wasn't thinking anything of it. Honestly, he probably wasn't going to give that big of a speech. He was just going to say thank you, you know, maybe an extended thank you and leave it at that. And Michael was the one that was really pestering him about this and needling him about what the speech would entail. And so Michael says he will teach Dwight public speaking. Yeah. And... It becomes clear very early that Michael doesn't really grasp what the point of not just this speech, but any public speaking situation in general is. Yes. He tells Dwight that it's really the content that matters, not necessarily the delivery. Is that right? Something it's it is confusing just because <laughs> Michael's an idiot and doesn't and is confusing the matter. Right. So this is another example of Michael's just need to be liked and to be accepted by people because and seen as like an authority figure on something. Uh, I guess yeah. I, I'm talking about. I'm talking about public speaking in general, not necessarily this specific situation. But yes, you are correct on that. He is definitely holding it over Dwight's head that, oh yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing here because I've done this twice. Like, If I had to guess, and I believe this was a deleted scene, if I had to guess, I would say that... Michael's speeches in 1996 and 1997 were probably not that well received or as amazing as he is making it out to be for the camera. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that that is the case. So Michael, as I said, is his foremost goal in making a speech is to get people to like him. And so... He, like you said, he essentially says something along the lines of, it doesn't really matter what you say in terms of context. It's just, it's all about how people feel about it, which isn't necessarily wrong, but in the way that Michael applies it is absolutely wrong. So Michael and Dwight are having this conversation in the conference room. 
and Michael just goes, all right, let me show you this. And he goes out and he announces to the office that, hey, just got off the phone with corporate. We've had a great year. Everybody's getting a $1,000 bonus. Which is a huge deal. Yeah. And of course Michael's lying. Yeah, and everybody celebrates. Yes. And so he goes back into the conference room and is just like, see what I did there? See how everybody reacted and how, how happy everybody was? And it had nothing to do with what he said or the fact that he was the one saying it. It was the fact that they all thought they were getting $1,000. Right. It wasn't this great example of public speaking. Right. They were not moved by his yes. words. They were moved by the fact that they're all getting $1,000. Right. And White tries to celebrate with Michael, like, oh, that's so great about the bonuses. And Michael's like, oh, no, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> so get out there and wow them. I've warmed, I've warmed them up for you. So Dwight decides... He will try his hand at public speaking by making up that there's a car accident on the interstate and that Brad Pitt has died. Not died, that Brad Pitt was in the car accident and will not be able to act again. Right, which again, missing the point of what this is, Michael is trying to convey to Dwight, correctly so, that you want people to feel something when you are giving a speech but you are not in both of these situations the workers of the office were moved by the context of things and not necessarily the the, the words of it yeah not they weren't these amazing speeches or something right. like that so Michael decides, okay, this this exercise isn't working. Let's have everyone come into the conference room and we'll practice toast. Like everyone will give us some sort of speech to get over Dwight's fear of public speaking. That doesn't really make a ton of sense in the context for Dwight, but that's what they do. And that's when Jim announces to the office Hey everyone, I decided I'm going to take a trip, but I don't know where I'm going to go. Does anyone have any ideas? So it sort of prompts a discussion about different locales that Jim could possibly travel to. Toby suggests Amsterdam. Kevin suggests hedonism. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure what that is. I guess it's some sort of resort. I don't know. But that was Kevin's suggestion. And the reason that Jim is so moved to take a trip somewhere is because in typical Jim form, he can't handle Pam and her planning her wedding in the office. I'm a little confused as to why she has to plan it at the office. She says it directly to the camera. You know, my wedding's coming up really busy. I have to plan it at the office. And I'm like, why? I mean, you did a lot of our wedding planning <laughs> at work, so... I did. But I didn't... But we didn't do the invitations. No. No. At work. She has Ryan and Kelly in the conference room with her, like, addressing invitations. Yeah. And she's talking to her mom on the phone about, you know, the invitations and the guest list and things like that. Um, 
So that part I'm confused by, whereas I did, I sent emails or made calls like during the business day that had to be made. Sure. I didn't do things that could easily be done like in the evening or the weekend. Yeah. And also Roy, also let's side note here. Roy is getting off pretty scot-free on this wedding planning. Yeah, it is. Their, their setup is the typical heteronormative wedding industrial complex sure sure where the bride does everything right yes where the 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 bride is the one that is making all the phone calls and you know roy is just sitting back and he the only thing he has to do is you know get a dj yeah or he's in charge of the music essentially yeah like the groom could just show up and literally have no idea about anything right which probably truly is Roy honestly which is funny because in season nine uh when Jim and Pam go to Roy's wedding to this other lady I forget who he was super involved in that and I think it just goes to show wedding planning is going to be a reflection of your relationship yeah yeah so Neither Roy nor Pam were challenging the other person. So, of course, Roy isn't going to really sit back or, you know, take an active role in it. He knows that he doesn't have to because Pam's just going to do it. Yeah, and I will say just I'll I'll say one more thing and I can get off the soapbox. But one thing that just irritated me to no end and ate away at me during our wedding planning was... A lot of times the contracts only had a signature for the bride. Yeah. So I would write in underneath mine, groom signature. Because I'm like, uh, no. Not just, this isn't just my thing to figure out. And also, it's not just my day. Like, it was kind of insane, this level of, oh, your groom is just a nameless, faceless guy who just happens to show up. He shouldn't have any opinions whatsoever. And... You know, I'm lucky in the fact that you did have opinions and you did, we went to all the meetings together, you did make calls, like we sort of split it up. Um, But if there's something that had to get done, I had the ability to do that during the like nine to five work day. And a lot of like websites too, where, you know, we're getting emails, we signed up for something and we're getting emails and there was only one like there was just bride's name and that's it like there was no grooms and so emails were directed just to you because even though i would put curtis's name on an email any response would be just to me and also and i know i'm still going here but the number of uh exclamation points and emojis in correspondence for just wedding vendors i'm like what is this? This is a business transaction. I'm giving you money. Why are you using so many exclamation points? Yeah. It was sort of, it's just like the wedding industrial complex is asking you to sort of suspend reality of everyday life because it's your wedding. It's just, it's just absurd. And we've bought into it and okay, done. Yeah. So back to the episode. (laughs) Yes. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, Pam and Jim are kind of in this weird limbo place where they both recognize the, uh, 
the awkwardness of the situation and kind of how the situation makes the other feel. So there is a point where Jim and Pam are just in the, the kitchen area just talking to each other and Phyllis comes in and says to Pam, oh, I heard you got your wedding dress. Can I see it? And Pam kind of looks over at Jim and she's just like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll show it to you later. Because she recognizes how talking about the wedding and doing wedding things makes Jim feel. So she's very aware that Jim's crush didn't end long ago as he claimed a couple episodes back. Right. But no one's saying that out loud. Yeah. And so it, Jim's response to this situation is, oh, no, don't worry about it. I'll go, yeah. you know, well, I better get back to it. Because he recognizes that Pam is uncomfortable doing wedding things around him. Pam even admits that to the camera when she's talking about having to do wedding planning at work. She says, you know, I hate to do it. I don't want to make anyone feel awkward. Still in a very roundabout, I don't want to address my feelings for Jim yeah. way. Yes, very much so. Because she says, you know, like Angela. Yeah, we all know who you're talking about. Like Everyone knows it's Jim. And Jim definitely, you know, John Krasinski is playing this sort of, he's playing Jim as sort of emotionally wounded, especially when the wedding talk comes up. And when Kelly and Ryan are helping Pam in the conference room to address the invitations, Ryan mentions, oh, you're inviting Jim? And Pam's like, yeah, why wouldn't I? So that's even being recognized by other people in the office. Like, mm, this is this is getting weird and awkward. But I would say that it would be slightly more awkward if Jim weren't invited. Yeah, because then you're... This thing that they won't say is then leading to a passive-aggressive exclusion, almost. So so Jim's trip is just the way for him to be able to be like, not in town, not coming. Yeah. By the end of the episode, he says to Pam that he has booked a non-refundable trip to Australia. He is going to be leaving on June 8th, which will be take him away from Scranton because... Pam's wedding is on June 10th. That sounds like a fun trip to me. Yeah, I would like to go to Australia. I am also terrified to go to Australia because like half the stuff there is poisonous and super poisonous, so it could kill you. Yeah. And just knowing my luck, I would get <laughs> bitten by one of those things. And it's a 24-hour flight. Right. I would definitely love to go to Australia though. Yes. But as a side note, and this is a very, this is a part of this episode that I really like. And it is Ryan's thoughts on this potential trip that Jim is taking. Mm -hmm. Jim has worked at the same place for five years. Jim eats the same ham and cheese sandwich every day for lunch. I don't know, if I were a betting man, I'd say he will have a fun weekend in Philadelphia. So Ryan, rightfully so, doesn't believe Jim is actually going to go through this because, as he said, Jim isn't the type of guy that ventures out all that often. Right, as you've 
you know, noted in previous episodes as well, just not in Jim's wheelhouse to take big chances and just, yeah, to go outside of his comfort zone. Especially I mean, going on a trip isn't taking a huge chance. Yeah, and especially so spontaneously, too. For sure. And, you know, Ryan kind of in the setup to this interstitial is just like, oh, yeah, you're really going, huh? And he's like, oh, well, send me a postcard. Like, as in, like, yeah, I, yes. you're, I know you're not going. Like, not for sure. That, yeah, we'll, I'll believe it when I see it sort of thing. Yeah. So Jim probably has a way to distract himself from Pam's wedding planning and also as a way to get back to Dwight for being so uppity about winning salesman of the year decides to help out his buddy Dwight with public speaking. Dwight is still sort of agonizing over this speech after the conference room toast extravaganza. So Jim says, you know, I majored in public speaking in college. I could give you some tips. And he steers him away from comedy, which Michael had been sort of hammering on, towards dramatic gestures saying that you need to wave your arms and bang your fists on the desk and I've taken the liberty of writing up a couple talking points for you. Those talking points were Benito Mussolini speeches. So essentially Jim is uh, having Dwight give a sort of fascist rallying cry to the Northeastern Sales Association. Right. And the beginning of Dwight's speech goes pretty poorly for him. He is introduced, and he is just kind of frozen with fright. He is definitely having a mild panic attack, shallow breathing, sweating, just not able to motivate himself to get up there. So Michael takes the liberty of being Dwight's opener, I guess. He he says, well, you know, I'm not Dwight, you know, but just waiting for him to, to be ready to come up here, I guess. And Michael gives just an awful, awful speech. It's he, bizarre. He, it's like a lot of impressions. Yeah, it's essentially a stand-up routine, yeah. which you have to imagine if this is what he was doing those two speeches that he had done before probably equally terrible right probably just random stand-up or snippets of impressions of different uh, stand-up comedians and it goes back to his kind of philosophy on public speaking that we heard earlier in that what you are saying doesn't have to mean anything to the people you are saying it to in context (laughs) They just have to like it. And so, of course, Michael's going to go up there and do impressions of impressions and, you know, just try to make people laugh because he then equates that to, oh, man, I killed that speech. Everybody loved it. Everybody was laughing. It was like, you weren't saying anything, though. And unfortunately, no one laughed. Yeah. And it felt like it was probably kind of long. And as Michael was just floundering, Dwight runs up to the stage and his opening line is blood alone will move the wheels of history which um i think is paraphrased i read it was paraphrased from a mussolini speech 
talking about World War Two. And the speech continues with just a lot of, it's very passionate. It's a lot of yelling. It's a lot of arm waving. It's a lot of banging his fist. And he's just talking about how they're the war of work. And so it can sort of fit in, I guess, in a little bit of a context of salespeople. And they go crazy for it. I don't get this, though, because the stuff he was saying didn't really make sense in context at all. I mean, even the war of work thing is a (laughs) super big stretch. I think it's supposed to be a little bit ironic because it truly was his delivery and not what he was actually saying that moved the crowd. I'm curious if this his speech is entirely from Benito Mussolini because it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. It sounds some of it sounds some of it sounds like it would be from Karl Marx because he's talking about I mean seemingly rising up and mm-hmm. um you know, overthrowing the oppressors or whatever. From what I read about this episode, um, it is all Mussolini. And as the crowd is eating this up, Michael gets really annoyed and pissy and just walks out. Yeah. He sits at the bar sort of moping about the fact that people didn't respond to him, but they were responding to Dwight's speech. And it's just typical Michael, just yeah. that I'm not I'm not getting this validation that I want, so I'm going to be mad about it. Yeah, he can't handle Dwight's shine. Yeah. And so when Dwight comes back to the bar and, you know, is just talking to Michael, he's like, hey, did you, I wish you could have seen that. Like, that was great, wasn't it? And Michael's like, oh, yeah, I, I heard about it, and I don't know. And so he plays it off. He plays Dwight's moment off as just some insignificant thing and then he goes into this story about this woman that forgot her id after the bartender carded her and so michael is trying to act like this story is more significant than dwight's speech right and unfortunately for some reason Dwight is eating this story up as if it was just just this super compelling story. Right, the funniest thing he'd ever heard. Right. And it's, again, it's typical Dwight because he's fawning, he fawns over everything Michael does. And so this story, of course, is going to be the funniest thing he's ever heard because Michael is telling it. Yes. And Michael just has one of those bad Michael moments at the very end of this episode with a one-on-one with the camera. Dwight gave a great speech. That's the word on the street anyway. And I entertained Dwight to no end with my bar story. So I captivated the guy who captivated a thousand guys. Can you believe that? A thousand guys. And so again, it's just Michael. He can't handle anybody else being the center of attention especially when it comes at the expense of him because he didn't do very well when he was up there and then Dwight did. So Michael can't handle those things. Mm -hmm. And so of course he has to spin it in a way to make himself feel good 
about himself. Yes, it's just, <laughs> it's just silly. Curtis, do you enjoy public speaking? I generally do, yeah. I feel like I'm pretty good at it, I guess. It is, it's one of those, it's, I kind of liken it to in old school when Will Ferrell is on the debate team <laughs> and he like is going against James Carville and you know Jeremy Piven's character asks this question that's just like about microeconomics or something like that and Will Ferrell just pops in and then he gives this answer and James Carville's like oh that was really good and his Will Ferrell's teammates are, you know, what was that? What'd you do? He's like, I don't know. I blacked out. What happened? <laughs> and so it's not necessarily like I, I black, but like when the time comes, I feel like I just, I'm in the moment and I do relatively well. That's good. I, you know, I felt, I feel like the best man speech I gave at my brother's wedding was pretty good. Yes. And then the ceremony the wedding ceremony that I did for our friends I thought I did pretty well with that too mm -hmm. and people you know came up to me after both and were like that was you know you did a great job well yeah. done you know good job and you were kind of nervous before both yeah for sure uh what about you what do you think about public speaking I enjoy public speaking I've noticed as I've gotten a little bit older I will get more nervous before it um but I generally enjoy it, and I will do it with no problem. I won't be able to really riff or anything. I like to have it pretty set what I am going to speak about. Yeah. Um, I once gave a presentation for a conference, and it was, I believe it was like 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning, and it was a panel, so it was myself and two other people, and the man that was moderating the panel fell asleep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> fell asleep, not while I was going, while the other panelist was going. They both went way over their time, so I had not a lot of time to wrap up. I was the, the third to go. Um, so I kept it pretty light, uh, went over, skipped over a lot of things I thought I was going to cover. And I think, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think I brought people back around because it was pretty dry and dull in there sure that so that's the only thing when you know you have to speak on something that your audience could really care less yeah and i just something i wanted to mention is that the conference that is in the episode was your typical like corporate yeah. conference where the people who are hosting it are just super jazzed about it. Yes. So they played like jock the, a jock, yeah, one of the jock jam songs at the very beginning. And so I have to imagine, <laughs> yeah, I have to imagine, cause we didn't see this in the episode, but I have to imagine that after this is like, as this is going on, somebody comes on stage and is like, Hey, Northeastern Pennsylvania, what's going on? Yeah. And it's just like, this is their world. And, they're no. they're expecting people to care about you know sales awards essentially yeah, no one else is happy to be there and in 2019 everyone would just be on their laptop or their phone right 
So that was pretty much the episode. It ends with Michael's interstitial with the camera and him being a terrible person. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. So there's only a couple. Uh, One thing that's funny during the episode is there's thermostat wars happening. They just have kind of an open thermostat. It's just on a wall, standard Honeywell, and anyone and everyone does adjust it, it seems like. Um, And if you've ever worked in an office, you know that the temperature is a point of contention. Mm -hmm. Paul Lieberstein, who plays Toby, was the head writer for this episode. And he revealed in an, in an interview uh, later that Jim never actually took that trip to Australia. That's not shocking. Yeah, and it sort of it makes sense with how the season ends and plays out. Um, so this episode had 500 extras for the speech, um, which was, I guess, a little bit difficult to wrangle and was... And this was the most extras they've ever had for an episode. So, Curtis, I don't think there was any firings for today. I would agree. Uh, I think a case could be made for Dwight in the very beginning of the episode for, like, tackling three different people. But <laughs> True. I guess that's true. I, I, I don't think that's enough. Do you have a Dundee to give out? I do. Uh The Dundee for Best Time Filler goes to the writers of this episode for the Temperature Wars. Yeah. It has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the episode. It almost makes me feel like they were like three minutes short (laughs) of a full episode. And like, all right, we need to make something that can fill this. And then they just filmed a couple shots of people adjusting the temperature. Because it really has absolutely nothing to do with anything right it's sort of like a c plot yeah it's not even a c it's not even a plot it's (laughs) literal time filler that's true and i thought that they were tying it in because before dwight's speech angela announces you know as as dwight and michael are leaving angela's like good luck to you on your speech and you know dwight's like well thank you angela and you know we cut to Pam's face like rolling her (laughs) eyes like they're still doing this yeah and so before Dwight gives his speech there's a shot of Angela like doing a fake cough thing and I thought like so she could say that she's sick and then she goes to watch Dwight's speech I thought they were making it to where like she's super cold and she's like I'm getting sick I'm getting the chills like why is it so cold in this office like she was trying to make a point of the temperature but really they just gave her a way to get out of the office yeah she just wanted to go film his speech right so yeah uh the temperature wars really don't provide anything to this episode other than time filler in my mind what is your dundee my dundee is the tell it like it is award and it goes to ryan uh one for his thoughts on Jim's trip as we heard earlier but also as he and Kelly are helping Pam address the wedding invitations Kelly comments that June is just such a great time for a wedding she would love to have a June wedding then she turns to Ryan and says when do you see when would you like to get married and Ryan's response is I don't ever see myself getting married 
And Kelly gets really put off, and she walks out of the room really sad. So Pam says to Ryan, Ryan, it's obvious that she likes you. Why do you have to make comments like that? And Ryan's response is, I know what I said. (laughs) He is such a jerk to Kelly uh, and will be throughout the whole series. Um, He is kind of bristly in this entire episode, really. And, like, his... We've we've kind of talked about this before, but at this point in the series, his relationship with Jim is just very odd. They clearly don't really like each other, yes. but there has been no indication as to why that is. Ryan has a kind of a weird character arc. Yeah. I feel like he goes through like different iterations of his character. Yeah. Like the episode at Jim's cookout like, he just makes an offhand comment to Jim. He's like, oh, hey, where's Katie? I haven't seen her in a while. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that somebody that is friendly with that person would say to somebody. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, Ryan is just like, yeah, Jim's not going to go on that trip. I think Ryan thinks he's too cool. Absolutely. And it sort of looks down on Jim a little bit. I think he looks down on everybody everybody. in the office. Yeah. And it's, you know, he's in business school, so he is going to like this. He wants to be like upper manager. Sure. This is, this is very much a stepping stone for him. He, this is a very much a temporary thing for him. He, in his mind is going on to bigger and better things. And he sees everyone in the, everyone else in the office as, pretty much stuck in this place forever yeah and maybe too complacent so i think like it's his attitude that sort of prevents a relationship from forming there yeah who is your employee of the month i picked jim uh because he was the catalyst for dwight's uh successful speech and he is very adamant that he's going on his trip and he booked it by the end of the episode even if he didn't end up going what about you? My employee of the month is Pam for making good use of her downtime <laughs> and planning her wedding at work. There does seem to be a lot of downtime for her. Yes. So, Those phones aren't ringing very much. Right. So she's essentially getting paid to plan her wedding. So good for her. Yes. So that does it for this week's episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Downsizing Pod to get all the latest updates and continue listening on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please give us a review on Apple Podcasts to kind of get our name out there. So we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye.